Welcome to the Homesteaders of America podcast, where we encourage simple living, hard work, natural health care, real food, and building an agrarian society. If you're pioneering your way through modern noise and conveniences, and you're an advocate for living a more sustainable and quiet life, this podcast is for you. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm your host, Amy Fuel, and I'm the founder of the Homesteaders of America organization and annual events. If you're not familiar with us, we are a resource for homesteading education and online support, and we even host a couple of in-person events each year, with our biggest annual event happening right outside the nation's capital here in Virginia every October. Check us out online at homesteadersofamerica.com. Follow us on all of our social media platforms and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can be the first to know about all things HOA. That's short for Homesteaders of America. Don't forget that we have an online membership that gives you access to thousands, yes, literally thousands of hours worth of information and videos. It also gets you discount codes, an HOA decal sticker when you sign up, and access to event tickets before anyone else. All right, let's dive into this week's episode. Hey, Joel, welcome to the Homesteaders of America podcast. How have you been doing? I've been doing great. Grass is growing. It's all green. And uh, we're about, whatever, two weeks earlier than normal for spring. And uh, turned the first batch of cows out yesterday. Quit feeding hay on, on them, not everybody, but on one batch. So, yeah, uh, life's good. It's good. It's always good when springtime comes and it's getting warm yeah. outside and yes. cows can eat grass. We only have one cow compared to your what hundreds or thousands that you have, but <laughs> we're happy too for our one cow. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, today we are talking about a couple different things. I always ask you whenever we interview, just because believe it or not, there are people who don't know who Joel Salatin is. So why don't you give just a quick rundown on who you are? and what you do. All right. So my uh, my self-acclaimed handle is Christian Libertarian Environmentalist Capitalist Lunatic Farmer. Our family uh, owns Polyface Farm in Virginia, Shenandoah Valley. We've been here since 1961. So I'm second generation and day-to-day operations are handled by uh, our son, Daniel. He runs the farm so I can run around. And uh, our first, basically our first you know, 20 years here were basically a glorified homestead. Mom and dad worked in town to pay the mortgage for the farm. So I grew up, you know, milking cows and running chickens and, and having a big garden, canning and, and you know, fruit trees, all the stuff that you do on a homestead. And then in September 24, 1982, I uh, came back to the farm full time and we developed now a commercial full time living on the farm and it's done very well. We have beef pork, chicken, both eggs and meat, turkeys, rabbits, lamb, and forestry products that we direct market to some, whatever, 10,000 families, some commercial institutions, and we ship nationwide. That's it in a nutshell, huh? (laughs) Yep. That's it. So I, 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 I didn't mention, you know, some people say, you know, now you almost your, you know, your educational and informational branches, you know, is as important and big as the farm. But no, that, that's what that's what we do in, in the production phase. But yes, we do have a full cadre of seminars and we do gatherings here. Last year, we built the Lunatic Learning Center. And so we have a pretty active informational and, and you know, uh, that component as well. And I've written a few books. 
Yes. You've written quite a few books, which is what uh, some of what I'd like to talk to you about today. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the new book that you're working on, what the inspiration was behind it and what people can expect in that book. And from there, I think we'll have a really fun conversation. I was telling the guy that helps us with the podcast earlier that this would probably not be your typical homestead podcast because Joel and I can get into some various different topics. Uh, <laughs> some of them might be controversial. So go ahead and tell us about the new uh, No controversy, Amy. There's no controversy <laughs> with us. So yeah, so actually, actually uh, today I'm hoping to finish the final revisions. I'm that close to the, to the final revisions, but the title is Homestead Tsunami, Good for the Country, Critters, and Kids. And it's it's the why it 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 has developed out of a speech that I did last year for Rory Feek's Homestead Festival in uh, in Tennessee, and he he asked me and and at that time the speech title I think was Homesteading Hottest Trend in the U.S. or something like that. I I, I kind of condensed it and came down to the to the homestead tsunami idea uh, as this progressed through the season last year, Amy. We had a an unending parade of RVs here at the farm of people wow. from California, New York, Michigan, all you know, blue states, of course, that 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 just paraded through here. I'd never seen anything like it. Just every day there was one, two, three, it seemed like, and their stories were all the same. We're bailing out, we're done, we're heading to the country, and we're gonna start homesteading. And I mean, I get chill bumps. Uh, I mean, it, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. And it just struck me at one point, this is a tsunami. I mean, this is crazy. Two years ago, I wrote Polyface Micro, which is basically a, a how-to for livestock on a homestead. It's everything that we've done at, at large scale, pushed back to a home, to something you know under 25 acres. E even down to one chapter is how to have chickens and rabbits in a Manhattan apartment in New York City, okay? So so it's really, you know, scaled down. How to. But I I I found out that that people are really looking for a why. So I wrote this book for three people, three people. The first one is the urban family that's that's on the fence. They're 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 teetering. They're man, you know, they're they're frustrated with what they see in the city. They're concerned about where the economy, where crime, where things are going. Say, man, you know, we 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 probably should just should just exit this, but we're we're scared. I mean, how do you live without? you know, without uh, pizza delivery, you know, those kinds of things. And, and they're teetering and, and they need, they need encouragement to just make the decision and and jump off the cliff and go to, to leave Ur of the Chaldees and head to the land of Canaan. All right. Okay. So that's the first one. The, the second one is the people who are a lot of times well-meaning family and friends who are telling them they're crazy. What? You can't, you know, there's nothing to do. Uh, there's nothing to do. There's no, there, there's no place to go. Uh, you can't even get pizza delivery. I mean, you're crazy. You know, the, the cows are gonna, whatever. Uh, okay. It, 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 it's nuts. So well, well-intentioned, but you know, um, they don't understand. And the third group of people are the people that I've just learned exist. I didn't actually know that this existed so much, but I've, I'm really hearing this a lot. People that about two or three years ago made the jump. They had all these fantasies. Oh, we're going to have this, that, and the other. And we're two years into it. 
the cows got mastitis, the cucumbers got powdery mildew, and half of my green beans are rotten in the basement because the jars didn't seal. Mm -hmm. And man, this is a this is a bummer. And they need a pick-me-up. They need to discover their first love. They need to be encouraged. Here's why. Stay with it because, because it's worth it. So those are kind of the three, the three people I'm writing this book to. It, there's nothing how-to in it, nothing how-to. It's all inspirational. A, a lot of it is how do you want to live? How do you want your kids to grow up? you know, it's, it's, it's aspirational and inspirational. It's the why of homesteading. So why do you think a lot of people are turning to homesteading right now, writing this book and just having the experiences that you've had mm -hmm. and we're seeing this, I mean, you know, with, you know, with HOA, I mean, we, oh, yeah, no, yeah. we sold out, we sold out of tickets and it's, it's the end of February. Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. And, and, and I, I think you need to do two of them back to back, I agree. but, but yeah. I, anyway, here, here we are. So, so why is this? Well, look, Amy, if, if you, if you want to make a list of things that you're, that you're concerned about in our culture, it's, it's a pretty specific list now. I mean, you've got urban yeah. crime, you've got urban crime, you've got empty store shelves from food. You've got, you've got Biden telling us that people are going to starve, uh, that, that there's food shortages, there's supply chain issues, uh, the economy, I mean, inflation, the price of eggs, avian influenza, processing plants with airplanes flying into them and exploding them. There's just, and, and I, I'm not, I'm not tinfoil hat. Okay. Let's not get too far off the, the, the path. <laughs> I mean, you know, the war in Ukraine, Saber rattling in Taiwan. I mean, anyone who's thinking right now, you just look at the whole situation. And and I don't know about you. I mean, I'm older than you are, but but I I just feel like, you know, have you ever uh disturbed a beehive? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you find you find a beehive somewhere and you get too close, and all of a sudden, all those like wasps, you know, a wasp nest on the back porch, and, and they're all just kind of sitting there, you know, just doing nothing. And you get too close or you bump them with a broom handle, and suddenly they're all, you know, and, and you see everybody. I think that's the way a lot of us feel about the world right now. We're, we're, we feel like this beehive is just not, it's not stable and secure. And, and you can't just assume that that if I put money in the bank, it's going to be there five years from now or or a similar amount of money. And, and I didn't even mention digital currency tracking, the pervasive personal and financial tracking that's going on. It's like you, you can't hide anywhere. You can't go anywhere. And then you have, you know, uh, artificial intelligence and and deep state databases. Uh, all right, I could go on. But, but, but the point is that thinking people are looking at all of this, uh, not the least of which was stimulated by the whole COVID, mm -hmm. you know, outbreak and and how fast we saw the the lockdowns and the societal upheaval of that whole thing, and uh, not not to be partisan and take sides, but just just the the right. fact that it the fact that it happened and really on our farm, we, you know, here we were. I mean, I don't go to the grocery store. 
But uh, I remember going one time, Teresa said, I mean, she at least goes and buys Kleenex and toilet paper, right? Mm-hmm. And, and she said, you need to see this. And so one day I was, you know, we were with her. So I said, okay, I'll stop in. We went in there. And I mean, empty store shelves. I mean, I had never seen that in my lifetime. Never seen it. And uh, and so it has created, a, I think, a an intuitive desire in people that there's this kind of primal idea in all of us that... If the wheels fall off, I don't want to be in the city. Mm-hmm. I want to be somewhere where I can shoot a deer, get some firewood, you know, make a little shelter and, and survive. And that's just, that's not fear. That is simply wisdom that moves us to a place of, of more stability and security. We create that. Uh, for ourselves. So I think this this phenomenon is as much, yes, there is fear running away from something, but you and I know, ultimately, you don't have staying power if you're running away from something in fear. You have to embrace something in faith. And so this book is about what are we embracing in faith? I mean, we, we hear enough negative on the news anyway, all right? Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I'm happy to I, I talk about the teen suicide rate, you know, and things like that. But but it, but that that's in passing. The 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 by far and away the the bigger part is, you know, how do we how do we raise kids that that shake hands and and look you in the eye and who are who are affirmed and know who who they are? How do we create beacons of hope and help when society is hopeless and helpless? Yeah, it's about that. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's one thing we we talk about a lot is there with the world and like how much it can consume you right now with yeah. everything that's on the news and that's on the internet. You know, every teenager in the world has social media to some extent somehow, or if they don't have it, like I always laugh when people are like, my kids don't have a phone. Okay, but their friend has a phone. And when they yeah. get with their friend, they're on their friend's phone. Like they, they see the same stuff that everyone else has seen. And so, you know, we've had that talk, like you, you cannot be shaken by what's going on. And, you know, and I'm very vocal with my faith on the podcast and YouTube and everything else. And, you know, what are you consumed by? Mm-hmm. And whatever you're consumed by, you're going to end up living that out. You're going to end up living that out in fear. You're going to end up making unwise decisions or not being able to think clearly. And so we've kind of pulled that into our homesteading lifestyle too. Like, let's, let's celebrate this life. Let's make homestead disciples. Like, you know, let's you guys, there's a better way to do this. And so people have caught on. And like you said, especially since 2020, you know, we, we saw tens of thousands of people come into the HOA community in 2020. But then I would say probably even more than that in the last year, because of all of the stuff that's been going on, people are there like, this is unstable. Everything Mm -hmm. is unstable. And it's not just in America, it's everywhere. It, you know, we have so many people in Australia and Europe that email us and ask for, you know, suggestions. And, um, and then you were just in Israel. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how it's kind of different over there? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's 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 really different. So where I was was uh, on the uh, quote unquote West Bank, which is actually Judea and Samaria. So the phrase West Bank is used by the anti-Israel people to make it sound like Israel is someplace they shouldn't be. Right. Uh, but if you ask the average person, do you think 
do you think Israelites should be in Judea and Samaria? Everybody would say, of course, of course. I mean, that, that's their biblical. That's where Abraham made his covenant. You know, everybody would say that. And, and so it's a it's a direct attack on Israel to even use the term West Bank. So I have sworn off of using the term West Bank, and mm-hmm. I'm using the terms Judea and Samaria. So, I mean, that's where 80% of the Bible happened, is in right. Judea and Samaria. I mean, you've got everything from Hebron to uh, Bethlehem, Ephrata, all the way up to uh, Gerizim. You've got uh, Mount Gerizim, where the, you know, when they marched into the land. All right, so here, here's what happened from the Oslo Accords in 1995. The Oslo Accords took that land. There was so much uh, worldwide outrage at the 1967 Six-Day War that Israel just, uh, I got to tell you this story from it. So uh, this guy, his uncle was a a tank operator in the 1967 Six-Day War. Remember, that was a war. So in night, to back up, 1948, the United Nations says Israel should have a homeland. So here's a completely abandoned place. There's there's nobody there, haven't been there for years. I mean, there are some people around, but it's not a it's not a country, it's not a nation. Nobody claims it. So they drew this boundary line, said, here's a homeland for Israel. So Israel occupies it. Well, in 1967, the five surrounding nations, Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, they all get together, Jordan, they all get together and conspire and say, let's wipe this, let's wipe the Jews off the earth. Mm-hmm. And so they launched an attack in 1967, the Six-Day War, Israel beat them back. It was absolutely miraculous. So I'm talking to this guy, he's got an uncle, he's, he's a tank operator in the Six-Day War. So he's got a tank, he's supposed to defend Jerusalem. So he's there with his tank, you know, and here over the hill from Jordan come these these 30 Jordanian tanks. And he calls his commander. He says, hey, I got 30 Jordanian tanks coming down. Uh, I need to retreat. And the commander says, no, you can't retreat. You have to hold Jerusalem. So he heads toward these 30 uh, Jordanian tanks. And suddenly, all the Jordanian tanks empty out. Everybody jumps out with their arms up. They surrender. And he calls back his commander. He says, hey, you got to send somebody up here. I've got all these POWs here. I don't, I'm only I'm only a three-man crew. You know, I can't handle all these POWs. So they send somebody up to, to, to gather them all up. After the six days, these POWs are being, you know, released. And so they do kind of debriefing as they leave. Mm-hmm. And, and every one of them said, what, why did you do that? What, what was, what was going on? And they did this independently, not in a group, not in a concert. So individual, like, like exit interviews from the POW camp. All right. And every single one of them said, we came over that hill. We saw a hundred Israeli tanks and we just surrendered, but there was only one. Mm -hmm. Is that not cool? That's amazing. Yeah. We're talking about, we're talking about Elijah and Gehazi. Remember when when they were scared, and, and and Elijah said, "Open his eyes so he can see," and he saw that whole legion of angels all around. And and um, I mean, it's it's cool. God's still God's still here. He's still on his throne. Oh yeah. And he has not given up on the Abrahamic covenant. So what happened was they were so successful that they took that land. Uh, they took Judea and Samaria, which are the historical birthrights of Ephraim, Manasseh. And Benjamin, those were the three tribes that occupied yep. those, that took those areas. Israel got a hold of it, but the world, the world sentiment was so against Israel 
that they just felt like they couldn't actually, you know, do much with it. So finally, the Oslo Accords in 1995 carved out individual places for the Arabs, for the Israelis, and for both. And so the entire region now of Judea and Samaria is a hodgepodge of intermingled territories called A, B, and C. A is for Arabs only, B is for both, and C is for Israeli citizens only. Hmm. And so so these quote-unquote Israeli settlements, these are actually Israelis trying to occupy their designated sea zones so they don't get overrun by the Arabs who are supposed to be in the A zones. And so the farmers I was with, mm-hmm. uh, that brings us to <laughs> when I was just there a couple right. of weeks. Right. So, what, so, so what's going on there is that there are these massive thousands and thousands of acres of land that, that nobody is on. Their, their sea areas are designated for Israel, and the Arabs are trying to encroach on them. They're building houses. The U.S. is sending aid. They're building thousands of houses. They don't even have anybody in them. Nobody even lives there. And, wow. and, 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 and so they're encroaching. So I got to meet with about 10 farmers. They are Zionists. I mean, yeah. they are going into these areas where nobody is there and establishing farms as beachheads of occupation in these areas. And so, you know, occupation is the first foundation of, of uh, whatever, ownership, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so that's what they're doing, and they're moving their sheep around. They all, I, I met one guy that had cows. Everybody else had sheep. And, and they're they're moving them around, but it's it's a it's a tragically it's the most devastated land I've ever seen in my oh, life. Yeah. Just it is just rocks and you know no trees. I mean the idea that you know Absalom got hung up in a tree, you know there, there's no trees uh, where yeah. that battle took place, and and uh, it's it's just rocks. It's difficult, but uh, but these farmers are dedicated. They're committed. And I think I was able to encourage them and, and give them some ideas to try to do, do their grazing better. They don't, they don't do any controlled grazing. They, they really don't have any fences because the Arabs come in and rip up the fences. So it's a, it, it, it's, it's a war. It's a real yeah. war uh, going on. And I felt, you know, as, as a Christian and I was there, I realized my, one of my biggest takeaways from the visit was, the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Shintos, the pagans, whatever, they're just, they're a diversion. The ultimate showdown is between Hagar right. and Sarah. Yeah. Ultimate showdown is between Hagar and Sarah, the son of promise and mm-hmm. the son of impatience. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, Ishmael, the son of impatience, and Isaac, the son of promise. That's the ultimate showdown. It's uh, it's occurring right now on the ground in front of our eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I noticed you had posted a blog post a little bit about your trip there. And um, I made the mistake of going into the comments and just, (laughs) wow, the amount of people that are like, Joel, we liked you, but now we don't like you for talking about this is insane. And so, you know, it's funny because we have a Christian school. I've run a Christian school at our church 
And so we've been talking about how Israel is a nation. It's not necessarily just a country. Israel was always a nation group. So we think about tribes, which is exactly you know what it talks about. Mm-hmm. So American children, when you say tribes, they think Indian tribes like here right, in America. Right, right. And so that's mm-hmm. the closest thing that you can get to. Mm-hmm. And so we were reading in Romans about how different nations and how he would be the father of different nations. And it didn't just mean the Israelites, but it would mean the Gentiles as well. And yeah. so I was talking about this to a, a homesteading family the other day and her child goes, Oh, you mean like homesteaders? And <laughs> I'm like, what? And uh, she goes like homesteaders. We're like a nation group. If you think about it. And I'm like, yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> Like we, we are kind of like a nation group. And it's funny yeah. because my, my friend Corinne, she was sitting in on one of your talks in Israel. And so she had sent me a picture and she was so excited that you were there. And, and there were only a couple people there when you had given your talk, uh, when she was there and, um, her and I have been talking for the last couple of years and how in Israel, a lot of the leaders in Israel think that homesteads and farms will become places of refuge for persecuted Jews and Christians. And it's funny because, um, I've had that talk a lot with a lot of people in America, um, about homesteads and farms being a place where people can just come if they need food, if they need refuge, if they need help. A few years ago, I was like, oh, America, it's going to be a while before America gets to that point. Right. And now we're just sitting here watching this. And so I think your book, Homestead Tsunami, I I don't think it's just a coincidence. I think it's prophetic. I mean, I, I really do think that and, you know, and as you know, in the homesteading community, we have all kinds of beliefs. Right. But sure. we did a survey and. I was not shocked to see that 90% of the homesteaders that filled out that survey are of some denomination in the Christian faith. So it ranges anywhere from non-denominational to Protestant to Catholic, you know, all of that, but 90% of them were Christian and the rest, there were, there were some Jewish, there were some, you know, there were all different kinds, like small percentages and to kind of see this, to see the ultimate goal in this survey of people, when people started homesteading, one of the questions was what caused you to start homesteading and then what's changed now? So if you've been homesteading for quite a few years, why, why are you continuing to homestead? And so a lot of people answered that they started homesteading because they wanted better food. Okay. Which great. That's why we started homesteading. We wanted better food for our health, better health. Um, we wanted to get into herbalism, all of those things. It was just a better way to live. Well, now it's switch those people. We asked the same question, why they continue to homestead. And then the newer people that have come in, in the last year, we asked that question, what started you to get homesteading? And now it's the culture and the economy and the government and the way that the world is. And we feel convicted and compelled to have a homestead for ourselves, but also at the end of the day to help other people. And it just reminds me of, of this talk that I've been having with multiple people over the years about homesteading and how the purpose in homesteading has changed. It's no longer just I'm homesteading because I want to be healthy and grow my own food, know where my food came from. That was great. And it's still great to do that. Now it's shifted to there's something bigger here. And my family doesn't want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of something different. 
Yeah, it's shifted to building an arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it shifted to. That's where it's going. And, you know, when folks, you know, make fun of you or or say, oh, you know, this is you're putting your family through Well, you're going to make your kids pull weeds in the green beans, right. you know, right. I think the encouragement is, look, you know, we're we're building an arc and we're going to the arc. If you want to come with us, that's fine. If you don't, mm-hmm. that's fine. That That's fine, too. But we're not going to get pulled off of our off of our arc to argue with somebody that doesn't even know it's raining. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and it's not, you know, it's not prideful and it's not selfish and it's not greedy to stay on mission. Yeah. That's how you get things done. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the arc is, is a good one. And, and, and I use that in the book. I, I talk about, you know, building an arc, but yeah, there's so many, you know, so many reasons. And I, I talk about the difference of self-worth in children when they're doing something mm-hmm. that's needful and purposeful versus just playing. I really drill down on screen time. I think yeah. screen time is devastating to our young people. And uh, so in the book, I talk about the sense of of purpose and self-worth when you've done something visceral and physical that the family needs, that the homestead needs, and you get to the end of the day and your your value, the way you view yourself is a result of, of accomplishment. Right. And, and what we've got today is we've got a whole world full of, of teenagers that have never accomplished anything. Right. Yeah, they've gone to school, they've gotten grades, maybe they played basketball, but as far as honest to goodness, personal mastery of anything important to life, mm-hmm. they haven't accomplished, they haven't even baked a cake. Right. Uh, uh, many of them haven't even run the run the, the vacuum cleaner. So, I mean, when our daughter, our daughter went to, went to, and this is going back, you know, uh, 15 years and she's in a in a suite with three other girls there's four of them you know two bedrooms and two girls and uh, there's four girls together she was the only one who knew how to run a vacuum cleaner yeah she was the only one who knew you know the trash pickup is on tuesday we got to take the trash down to the curb she's the only one i mean it, oh it just went on and on and on it was it was unbelievable and of course you know she's i'm sure she's the only student that went with more pint uh, jars of canned meat and they're looking at this as other girls yeah. I remember we're, we're unpacking the car right we're taking these boxes of of canned you know chicken and stuff you know up and what is that what mm-hmm. is that you know yeah. uh it was it was pretty wild she, uh, that's funny yeah, we, were, we were pretty proud of her that's awesome though I mean yeah it's the truth though I mean there's I I meet a lot of families who I I can't tell you how many moms, even some homestead moms, like this is the thing where they'll say, well, I I don't have any help around the house because my kids don't help. We'll make them help. Like it's, it's not, it's not hard. We, we have, even my generation has grown up in this culture of you don't make them do anything. It's going to teach them to rebel against you. There's too many rules. And, and I beg to differ. I mean, when we set hard rules in our house, that are followed and they have to be followed, we get a much better child out of that. And, and one who then expects rules elsewhere. 
And so homesteading has definitely taught our oldest child that. So we have a broad range of kids. We have a almost 14 year old and then we have a eight month old. So, Uh and then we have um, an almost four year old in between that. And so it's funny because with our 13 year old, we weren't homesteading until he was probably five or so, maybe like we weren't all out homesteading and we definitely didn't have what we have now. And so he just didn't get his hands dirty a lot in that sense, but he did, he was an outdoors little boy. And so he was outside all the time, but it's interesting to see our current three-year-old and giving him chores, even at such a young age Mm -hmm. and how excited he is about that and how he would choose going outside and doing that over screen time any day. So it's just, yeah, I agree. We, I mean, even us, we have to try to cut down on screen time, even as a business owner. I mean, you probably don't get this because you have other people doing it, but we're over here talking about homesteading, but we're on a computer, you know, 60% of the time trying to make a business work. Right. And so even adults are succumb to those things. No, I, Um, I I spend a lot of time on screen too. I mean, just you know, organizing what conferences, presentations, all the the different things that I do, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot, but the the sanctuary is outside where the birds are singing and the grass is green and the grasshoppers are, are hopping. I mean, that's the, that's the place of, uh, of sanctuary and actual anchoring, you know, personal anchoring. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the things, you know, a lot of people, well, the other day, my husband and I were talking, so his outlet, when he wants an outlet, he goes Mm -hmm. and he works on his cars and I'm like, huh, that's boring, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but that's his outlet. He's a car guy or, or a machine guy. Like he loves doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I was sitting there and I'm like, well, I don't have an outlet. I was getting a little bit huffy puffy, right? Like I've always got the kids and the house and all that. He goes, well, that's because it's not springtime yet. He said, gardening is your outlet. And I'm like, oh, that's true. And, and so that's something I'm trying to teach my kids too. Like some of my greatest ideas and some of my greatest moments happen when I'm in the garden, just weeding or, you know, pruning plants or just out there with no sound in my ear. Like a lot of, I hear a lot of people say, well, I'll listen to a podcast when I'm outside in the garden or, or whatnot. And I think one of my favorite things is just being still being in the garden and just not hearing anything except what's around me. Even if the kids are around me, there's just clarity. I feel like there's so much more clarity. And one of the things I think about is like a lot of people have seasonal depression or anxiety. Right. And we say it's because the lack of vitamin D. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, but I also think for me, just having been in the garden is when we're outside more, we're not attached to the screen. Normally, even if you're not a homesteader, you're looking at what's around you. You're doing stuff that's around you. Even if it's at the park, you know, with your kids, you have time to just have mental clarity and it's not this the whole time. And, and so I think one of the other things that we had on our survey was just overall general mental health and calmness and peace in your life. And a lot of people chose that they can choose to detach from society, whether it's eating good food, or even if it's just a back porch, like you said, it can, it can be anybody, but it gives them that time to be outside and just be clear of mind and have peace of some kind and I think it's, I'm looking forward to spring for that reason, for my, right. well, for one my of the, yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the, uh, one of the points that I make here in the book 
look, I don't think cities are evil, okay? Right. Trust me, this book is not going to make the cities empty out. I have no <laughs> I have no illusions about that, okay? But 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 I do want to minister to the tribe that's that's seeking. Yeah. And so that's the that's the point. But uh, I make the point that in the city, one of the hardest uh, human things in the city, or spiritual things is we're completely surrounded by everything that humans did. The roads, the traffic lights, the cars, the honking, the uh, you can't even see the stars at night due to light right. pollution. And so so your whole life is surrounded by by humanness by by what humans have do, done mm-hmm. and, and and this gives you it has the tendency i think to give people a a jaundiced view of our importance in the cosmos okay in in the system whereas out in the in the homestead you're surrounded by things that humans didn't do Right. You know, the deer, the the groundhog, the tomato, the the magic of a seed sprouting. Uh, you're surrounded by the the majesty and awe of things that supersede human capacity. Yeah. And uh, that's a that's a powerful thing to be reminded of every day that I'm not the center of the universe. There's something way bigger than me, and I have the privilege of viscerally participating it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a profoundly humbling and stabilizing thing. And much of the uh, of the divide we see in our country right now, as you know, is urban rural. I've never seen the the when you look at at the voting records, uh, blue red, uh, there is no question that we are in an, an incredibly partisan divide between mm-hmm. urban and rural. And, and I think a lot of it is that rural people, we understand there are seasons, stuff out of our control. We get to step in and out of this, this majestic uh, creation that's so bigger than us. And, and in the urban, basically all we see is ourselves. Right. And that's a handicap. I mean, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's a spiritual, mental handicap. Right. Yeah. And there are, so I know I can hear it now. Somebody in the urban, you know, neighborhood's going to be like, what? I'm not like that. And and there are people that aren't like, like, like totally. I saw there's a place in Chicago or something where they're literally taking this land in cities and they're turning it into gardens and community gardens. And, and right. so guys, we are not talking about, you know, that, like, we know there are, there are urban people who are the same way. Um, but you mentioned urban versus rural. And I remember not to you know, hate on Biden or anything, but I'd say this, whether it was Trump too, just FYI. <laughs> one, one thing that a lot of rural people understand is that it's not Democrat versus Republican anymore. It's right. all, you know what I mean? So let's, we'll, we'll get that out there first. But I remember when Biden first won his presidency, um, one of the things that he said, and I wrote it down and I don't know where it is right now. So I'll paraphrase. And I even posted it on Facebook and he said, we have to get the rural people on board with the urban culture and Uh, mindset and how we need to bring more cities into rural areas because there's so many people and, and and we need to urbanize rural areas. And, and I just sat there thinking, what's wrong with rural areas? You know, what, what's the issue with rural areas? Like we're, we're the backbone of America. And so you're right. It is a constant rural versus urban mindset. And, you know, we, we even go, we'll drive through our town, which isn't very huge. I mean, it's huge now more than it used to be, but 
Um, and just look at the houses on top of houses on top of houses. And I'm like, I've got to get out of here. I can't even imagine living in a house like this anymore. I mean, if we had to, we would, but we don't have to (laughs) and praise the Lord for that. Because I think that I might lose my mind after living rule for forever, even our last house, it was a half an acre, but the houses were kind of far away from each other. Uh, but even that was too much for me to be just right next to somebody and somebody's always in your face and you're always having to worry about what somebody's doing. And there's just no peace of mind there at all. And obviously living out in the open is not sustainable for everybody. I get that. But being, being a homesteader and just getting your hands in the dirt and cultivating something of life, no matter how small it is or how big it is, there's just a, a, an incredible satisfaction from that. And I think it stems back to Genesis, you know, being in the garden and being created to be stewards of the earth and being created to work. And suddenly we have these generations of nobody working and nobody doing anything. And I mean, do you know how hard it is to find people that want to work and actually work well? It's very difficult. Even, even in from an administrative standpoint, it's very difficult and no surprise. We have now this culture that is just depressed and following everything blindly. And, you know, they have all of these issues because there's no outlet there. The original outlet is, um, that's not good enough for them. You know, I can't tell you how many people, uh, I hear, well, why would you do that? You're not a farmer. And I'm like, well, what define farmer, you know, that, that definition has gone, that's changed now too. Even from when I grew up, it's just, it's astounding to see that there, there are still so many people that are so against homesteading and so against ultimately creating a new system alongside the broken system is what's happening. But to see so many people now coming into this lifestyle, I couldn't have imagined especially when we started HOA seven years ago. So this is the seventh conference we'll have. Um, I just couldn't have imagined that there would be so many people. I mean, Joel, I'm pretty sure we could pack out like a a stadium of 20,000 or more people if we had that amount of space. I mean, so it's changing. We should should do that. We I I know, but I, I have so many things to do. But yeah. there are a lot of other events popping up uh, all over, and we we have talked about you know doing more events, maybe in different locations. Um, you know, we tried the the smaller events, which are awesome, but um, we just feel an urgency. I think uh, Mark and I definitely feel an urgency to to bring people together and network people. And so I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll see what's on the horizon for HOA and. Yeah, where we go and what we do and well, it's the, encouraging. The, yeah, sure. Uh, well, the, the fact is that we haven't gotten where we are overnight. We've been now decades losing homestead rural craft mm-hmm. from from how to plant a seed to a home butchery. We've been losing that for a long, long time, and so you know, we didn't get here overnight, and we won't get out of here overnight. Mm-hmm. And and now, of course, the the one of the one of the tricks is for us people like you and me is to stay uh, welcoming and at at a level so that newbies because newbies are coming in every day. I, I mean, there are people every day who hear about this. Mm-hmm. 
and suddenly they discover this and they're brand new. And, you know, you and I are, you know, we've been doing this a long, I mean, we say, go gut the chicken. We don't have to think about it. You know, we just right. go gut the chicken, right? And, but there are, there are thousands of people coming to this every year that mm-hmm. just are intimidated, uh, ignorant, uh, scared, don't know. And we need to make sure that we don't run ahead of them, that we yeah. take them by the hand and, and lead them into this, uh, I like the term parallel universe. I, I think, I think that's what we're doing. I think many of us, many of us are coming to this are realizing that the, the culture, uh, the culture has gone. If anybody's read uh, Rod Drewer's uh, the Benedictine option, mm-hmm. you know, his first big blockbuster was crunchy cons back, you know, crunchy <laughs> conservatives. So it was like, yeah. you know, environmental conservatives back in the day. And now he's written this Benedictine option. And, 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 and the basic thesis is there's, there comes a time when you have to give up on a top down strategy. In other words, we're not going to solve this by changing the president. We're not going to solve it by changing the Congress, you know, your congressman. Right. What we're going to do is we're going to make we're going to make enclaves of stable, secure, resilient oases. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine imagine a U.S. map with um, with little, you know, cookies on it or or pepperonis or whatever. OK. Yeah. And what we're trying to do is make places scattered around the country where there is resiliency, there is community, and there is morality and openness to share ideas. You're not going to be censored. You're not going to be accused of of evil intent because you didn't say the right word or didn't recognize the right political jargon. And and, and many of us are, are craving that. And so that, you know, that's what this is starting to develop because the homestead movement is also a a community building movement. And so, you know, where's the best place to have your homestead? Probably, you know, within a mile of three other homesteads. Right. That's where, you know, one guy's a mechanic, one guy's a plumber, one guy's no chainsaw, and one guy's Mm -hmm. a woodworker, you know, and, uh, or gals, I'm not trying to be sexist here. (laughs) The, the, The point, the point is that we're starting to realize that if you are proximate if you are geographically proximate to people who know how to grow things, fix things, and build things, that's worth more than a 401k. Right. Oh, yeah, because there's no guarantee that'll be around once you oh. gotta use it. <laughs> none, none, none whatsoever. No. Yeah. So where do we, you know, where do you where do you stash your cash? You know, wh- right. where do you put it? In fact, a chapter I just finished revising before, you know, you and I got on here is another reason for the why is economic investment. Who trusts Wall Street? You know, where do you put your money? Well, you put it in real stuff that has intrinsic value like land, animals, plants, yep. and soil. And your own uh, mastery, you know, maybe you know how to fix engines. Maybe you know how to, uh, th- those are all barterable barterable, tradable things. Because, you know, the more we can disentangle from the system right now, the the happier we'll be. Yeah. So here's funny, and then I'll let you go because you're talking about um, being uncensored. So uh, everybody and their brother that homesteads nowadays, they're always saying, oh, you got to get TikTok. Do you know what I mean when I say TikTok? Yeah. That this TikTok app or you- I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So for years I've not gotten TikTok. And, uh, so last week I got TikTok for HOA. I'm like, 
this is great. I can post. So what I do is I, we take little clips of these podcasts and we post videos of them. So it'll entice people to come listen to the podcast. Mm. I posted two videos on TikTok, the, the most supposedly the most uncensored app in the planet, right? Uh-huh. My uh, HOA account got banned in two days. Oh. Oh. And uh, from, from, and everybody's just like, how TikTok doesn't ban anybody. I'm like, well, I have the proof and they won't even let me get on it. And so apparently homesteading is very, very controversial to TikTok. So we're doing something. We're making a bigger change, I think, than wow. we realize. Yeah. I can't believe it. I mean, did, did you did you say something, uh, whatever, uh, racial or sexual or? or uh, no, just, I posted just- a, I posted a, the podcast about starting seeds, which I guess that can be super controversial. And then I posted a, a podcast clip of, oh, what was the other one? Maybe it was milk cow, raising a milk cow. And that was apparently also very controversial, I guess. So they didn't like that very much. And they banned our account and they won't even let us back on it. <laughs> Period. I can't even appeal it. Wow. That's so. unbelievable. Well, it just shows how how dysfunctional everything's gotten, doesn't it? I know, right? It does. Mm-hmm. All right, Joel. Well, I've had you for an hour, so I will let you go. But this was fun conversation. I always like our conversations because we just talk about anything and everything. Yes. So anything for us before we sign off? No, just uh, if people want to know what I'm doing, you know, we've got our website, Polyface Farms. I don't have a personal website. I have no personal social media, but I run everything through the, you know, through the farm website, uh, Polyface uh, just, you know, Google in P-O-L-Y and it'll probably pop up and there's a pretty comprehensive website. And I think, I think there's going to be another uh, women's HOA retreat at Polyface. We're this- talking about it. We are talking about it. So, so it's not firmed up yet. I, I just heard Daniel talking about it and I, um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk he about did. last year. Last year you had one. And uh, I wasn't here, but I heard good things about it. And everybody left with a smile on their face. You're doing great work, Amy. And thank you. Well, thank you, Joel. Thank you for encouraging us to get stuff done and being the grandfather of the homesteading community. We like to call you. So, (laughs) okay. All right. Have a good one. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's Homesteaders of America episode. We really enjoyed having you here. We welcome questions and you can find the transcript and all the show notes below or on our Homesteaders of America blog post that we have up for this podcast episode. Don't forget to join us online with a membership or just to read blog posts and find out more information about our events at homesteadersofamerica.com. We also have a YouTube channel and follow us on all of our social media accounts to find out more about homesteading during this time in American history. All right, have a great day and happy homesteading.